Welcome to The Art of Mindset with your host, me, Brian LeSage. Before we get into this episode, I want to ask a favor. There's a survey down in the description of this show that allows us to figure out how you are enjoying the show thus far. Take less than five minutes to complete. I'd greatly appreciate you and anyone that's willing to complete it. We want to hear from you, the listener, and I want to make future episodes more focused on what you like to hear. So if you wouldn't mind, take some time, complete the survey, and it would mean the world to me. And I want to say also, if you haven't already, share this show with anyone that you feel as if they would learn or gain something from it. The stories shared on this show are life-changing, not just for me and not just for my guests, but for you, the listeners. And there's many more stories to be told. So please share the show. We have stories to share and mindsets to change. Now, let's get into the show. Today's guest is a believer in doing the opposite of the herd, believing in the contrarian principles. Matt Lowe is an Atlanta native, churned entrepreneur, land and wildlife stewardess, investor, and co-founder of two businesses, Equity Resource Partners and Single Ops, while being the CEO of Swift Straw all at the same time. Matt talks about his story in developing a mindset that is unshakable, no matter the events around him. He presses the envelope on creating a utopia for all that work within his company. In this episode, we discuss how to do the opposite of everyone else. Contrarian principles, the stories and insights gained from this show will drastically change the way you see the world from a world full of obstacles into a world of paradise full of opportunity and how to define success in your own life. Hey Matt, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really excited to have you here. I know you've been in the entrepreneurial business and the mindset arena for a while and really excited to kind of get into that picture and get to know and get our listeners to know what that's like. But first off, I just want to say thanks so much for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Kind of to get this listeners in a, in a forward motion into the mindset, I always love hearing where entrepreneurs came from and how they did it and what they're, one of my first questions is, it's really fun and we'll dive into it, but I want to know who Matt was as a kid. Who were you as a kid? As a kid? Oh, uh, let's see. Um, well, it, was, it would have either been on the playground, sports field, or somewhere in the uh, in the outdoors. I've always been a an avid outdoorsman. Um, so spent a, spent a ton of time playing sports and uh, and and also in the woods and on the water. Um, but I would say, who was I on the playground? Um, always always competitive. Always playing sports. Always kind of migrating uh, towards. Um, somewhat of a leadership position, um, amongst whatever group or team I was a part of, but, um, always just passionately and enthusiastically, uh, you know, pursuing life and, you know, whatever game or task, uh, at hand, um, always kind of passionately, um, doing that and, and leading along the way. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I got to say, I hear that a lot from entrepreneurs and they're just go-getters and they, they like to be competitive in nature as well. And that might be intrinsic to you. Did you always love to compete? I would say so. Um, you know, at a certain, to some extent it can't be taught. Uh, I, I would say that I've probably gotten, you know, more competitive over time as I've engaged in things that I've really enjoyed. Um, but yes, I would say one thing I was, um, I'm, was very fortunate to be blessed with was a general sense of confidence. 
um, not arrogance at all, but just generally confident in pursuing um, things that I uh, was interested in um, and, and have always been naturally, naturally competitive. So, yeah, I would say that was pretty innate. Yeah, confidence is definitely one of those things that that fine line between I am confident and then I'm becoming arrogant. When you when you did that, were you able to kind of find that line as a childhood where that arrogance and that confidence borderline and where that line was? Uh, I, you know, I don't know exactly when uh, when I actually became aware of uh, of the difference, um, but I've I've always um, I've always been attracted to confident people. And, and I've always or I've never been able to be around uh, arrogance. It's always just when arrogance is in the room, it, it cuts me like a knife and I, I cannot be around it, can't stand it. And so um, just kind of um, distinguishing the, the, the difference in those two, I've just become more aware over time. And, and of course, tried to be um, positive and encouraging and confident while never uh, crossing the line over to arrogance. You mentioned a little bit about liking yourself to confident people and liking to surround yourself with confident people. I know as a child, some of our listeners probably as well had influential people in their upbringing. Who were those people for you? Wow. It's a, it's a long list. Um, so my, my dad is certainly a hero of mine. Um, and just, uh, amazing athlete, amazing coach. Um, and, and really, you know, one, I've got a very diverse group of mentors and heroes. Um, but the one thing, if, if, if I was to boil down one commonality across all of them is they are all extremely successful um, and, and have all done very well monetarily. They've done well in terms of um, being a leader in their family and what I would consider to be a, a well-balanced success. But in almost every case, you would never know. And so, you know, the, the, the people I like to associate with have the most money in the room, but act like they had the least money in the room. And so, um, so my, my dad was a huge influence. My grandfather was, uh, was another hero of mine. Um, just, um, he, he never, uh, was monetarily wealthy. Um, but just from a, from a balanced life standpoint, he was one of the most successful people that I've ever known. Um, and, and he's the one that uh, introduced me to the outdoors and kind of the, my connection with land and nature and every, you know, every out- outdoor activity that I now um, engage in um, uh, on a regular basis. Um, it, and then another one. Um, so he, he, my grandfather managed Robert Woodruff's plantation who founded Coca-Cola. And um, and so I've I was exposed at a very early age um, to Robert Woodruff. Now, um, he actually died the year that I was born, so I never spent any time with him. But, uh, but my grandfather used to tell stories about Robert Woodruff at the at the dinner table, and so um, he's been one of my heroes uh, from a very very young age. Wow. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I want to emphasize it again. There's a big difference between what society hears as what they deem successful and what success is to what really good entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators start to see what success is. And if you ask society, you might see a lot of money, fame, influential leaders. And I want to know how did they get you to see success differently and not be money-based? How did they rewrite that for you? Yeah, that is a great question. Um, you know, really, um, I mentioned uh, a few of my heroes when I was, uh, you know, from a very young age. But as I've gotten older, um, and really from from my kind of mid mid teenage years, um, 
until probably, I mean, I'm, it's still today, but from the age of probably 17 to 27, um, I, I kind of went on a mission um, to, to meet with as many people that I thought were successful as possible, to read as many books as possible, um, and, and ju- just to learn, just to try to understand what does it mean to be successful. Um, and, and one of the common things that I found is after meeting with you know, hundreds of mentors and reading a book a week for over 10 years, um, you know, reading every book about Elon Musk and about Peter Thiel and about Warren Buffett and about Richard Branson. Um, what I found is that just like you said, success is, it, it, there's not a universal uh, definition and su- success has to be defined by the individual and pursued. Um, because every one of those mentors that I met with and everyone that I read about was, was just, was very different in, in how they lived their life and what they wanted out of life. And so the, 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 the one thing that, um, or one of the big things that I discovered, um, was that money and success in many times are not correlated. And so, you know, we've all seen the example of the, the billionaire who's got all the money in the world, but no one to share it with. Um, and, you know, I've seen so many examples of people that have a ton of money, but, uh, physically they're in extremely poor health or relationally their families are falling apart. Um, or, you know, they have no hobbies that they, that they pursue or skills that they, um, that they work on. And so to me, that's not success. Um, and so every mentor that I've learned from has taught me something different. Um, but if you boil it all down, it's, you know, each person, kind of has their own version of success that they pursue. Um, and in, in, in every case, the people that I uh, want to emulate are the ones that have, uh, that have a lot of balance. Wow. Yes, I have to attest that is the best way and a resounding applaud to finding that success and being able to see success in that way and being able to define success for ourselves for Okay, so for any listener then that might be struggling and trying to find success for them, what words of wisdom would you say or words of advice to find their own success in their own lives? I mean, the, the first thing that I've, I challenge myself to do and that I would challenge anybody to do is, is to, to take a minute and actually define what is your definition of success? What do you want your life to become? How do you want your life to, to turn out? What's important to you? Uh, and, and most people never stop and do that. And of course, you know, you always hear write your goals down and write down things that are important. It's the reason that it works is because th- there's so many things that are that are sort of jumbled around in our brain and writing it down forces clarity. In order to write it, you've got to say, OK, what is important uh, physically, mentally, spiritually, uh, relationally? What are the things that I care about? And um, and until until you write it down. It's uh, it's all just kind of jumbled up and it's easy to, you know, to get really busy, but not have any focus. And so what I've found is that by writing down what's important to me, um, what kind of life do I want to live? It's given me a lot of clarity. Um, and probably most importantly, it's allowed me to trim a lot of the fat. Um, you know, for example, I, uh, n- no disrespect to, uh, to sports fans, but, you know, um, following sports or, or watching sports was not it just happened to not be on my important list. Um, and so, you know, w- w- when I wrote down and, and got very clear on what was actually important to me, what did I want to spend time doing? Um, you know, that didn't make the list. And so people, you know, they look at me like I'm crazy when they you know, ask me if I watch the game on Saturday and I'm like, you know, 
I know it sounds crazy, but I didn't. Not that I don't appreciate sports. I was I was a I was a big time athlete, but at this point in my life, it's not on my list. And therefore, if it's not on my priority list, um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not g- going to give it any attention. So, um, so that's what I would say is just just to write write down what's important and get clear. Um, and then, you know, the, the magic of writing something down is that once once you write it and read it, your subconscious brain will will pick up on it. And then once it's etched in your subconscious, from that point forward, you will start subconsciously making decisions, making moves, deciding what you want to do and what you don't want to do um, in a way that is consistent with uh, what your subconscious brain has registered uh, as important in the path that you want to go down. And then it, you, know, you start to get the power of the subconscious where you're going to move in that direction, whether, you, you know, whether you're consciously doing it or not. Um, and it's, you know, same goes for the power of a vision board. Um, you know, when you, I've, I've been through an exercise and I'm, I'm actually look, looking at it right now, it's above my desk, but once your subconscious brain etches, uh, etches that picture, that vision of what you're, of what you're striving for, it's going to move you in that direction. And so that's, uh, so writing it down, whether it's vision board or, you know, I, I think goals and success are two kind of overused terms, but, um, you know, writing your goals down or uh, at least just getting clear so that uh, it, 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 it gives you um, the ability to focus on on what is important and what you're um, not just what you're trying to achieve, uh, but what you're working towards. Yeah, you got to focus the mind and you basically have purposeful action. And I think one of the biggest strengths that I've talked to all these entrepreneurs and leaders and innovators from around the world is that they're able to focus the mind so intently into one singleized direction. And they're doing that and writing things down and getting the mind moving that direction. And I think a book that really highlights as well as Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, great book, touches on the aspects of the subconscious mind. And that's, again, what we're intentionally focused focusing from the inside out and moving that forward through focus. That's right. No, that's exactly right. And just, just one more thing to add to that. I was, um, I was, um, I saw something the other day that was, uh, I think Sarah Blakely, uh, who I love, I've never met, but I've, I've, uh, read a ton about her and know her story, but you know, she, she just had a billion dollar exit. Um, um, and I, I saw that, um, she, she posted something that, uh, it's very inspirational, and, and and I appreciate the message. It was basically, you know, she she started selling uh, like copy machines door to door before she started Spanx, and it was a classic example. And the the message was, you know, I started from nothing; you can do it too. And whereas there's nothing wrong with that message, you know, I think I think people by by look by looking at the Sarah Blakely story and and sort of correlating that with success. Um, to me, it's the message shouldn't be like, hey, you can be a billionaire, too. The message can be if you want to be successful, get clear on what's important to you. You don't have to be the the, the unicorn, the exception, the over you know, and, and certainly not uh, overnight. But you don't have to be the, the token billionaire to be successful, although it is possible. Um, being successful is a lot more achievable than than hitting the, the Spanx lottery. I mean, by literally, I mean, you, you can make $50,000 a year and be a tremendous success by getting clear on the hobbies that you want to participate in, the relationships that are important, um, and just just with clarity around the life that you want to lead and who you want to impact and how you want to impact, you can be successful making $50,000 a year. You don't have to be, again, you don't have to win the billionaire lottery 
to be successful. And so that, that was just kind of one thing is that, that was, was relevant in, uh, in this conversation around mindset is man, it's, it's not as, it's not as hard as people make it out to be. Yeah, we definitely add a layer of complexity to everything. That's if you really, really want it and you really want to observe major companies and what those massive unicorn companies and what those successes like Spanx and Apple and Google and what they did to really do that and offer that end user experience, they made it ridiculously easy. Think about this. They had the Amazon one-click purchase. Google has searched and you find every answer possible. You know, what they've done is provided simplicity and simplicity is the thing that why people don't really think about it, it wouldn't be the process that we need to also apply to our minds. Why not find what really matters and those values and have those truly to yourself and apply them and then apply that in your own living, in your own life, intentionally living in that regard. And I, yeah, I absolutely love moving that forward. And you speak, spoke on it earlier about curiosity. And God, I guess I'm just trying to figure out with all this consumption of information and getting into the minds of all these people, that's a curious nature. So were you always curious? Well, I, I think for, from a very early age, I, um, I mentioned to you that one of my heroes was Robert Woodruff. Um, he, he happened to be the, um, you know, to build one of the largest companies in the world and um, certainly by monetary standards, was one of the most successful people in the world. And so um, from a very early age, I, I was extremely curious um, and wanted to be like him. Um, and so that's that's kind of always been there. My, uh, my dad is a financial advisor, and so he's always had um, clients that uh, that have ended up being my heroes. Uh, you know, just naturally, he's working with people that are building great companies uh, that are great investors that are positively impacting the lives of everyone around them. And so, um, so, so I always had exposure, uh, through him to all of these kind of world changing heroes. And so, um, you know, I think just the, the combination of all the different heroes that, uh, that I looked, looked up to growing up sort of, um, created this curiosity of what, you know, how do I be like them? How do I become, um, you know, I, it really started with, um, you know, with a learning process. And then over time, I've been able to develop, you know, what, what I want my career to look like. But the curiosity certainly came from having um, some really incredible heroes, um, you know, along the way. Yeah. Again, asking those questions, what did they do in order to get to where they are and having that innate curiosity about those things and coming to the solutions that I'm guessing led you to find this company and maybe even a couple other companies where you're at now. And in my own curiosity, from the outsider's point of view, looking in, I'm going to say a pine straw company kind of looks like it's already been there, that it's established and that market's established. So I want to say it how did you do that? And how can you create this, this mindset where successful businesses can come out of something that exists already? And how do you even target that? And where did that even come from? Yeah. So there's a, there's a correlation, um, between business success and contrarian principles. And that was one thing that, um, Another kind of commonality uh, that I that I was able to put together with a lot of my heroes, um, my, even just growing up, my my dad always said uh, when investing in the stock market, do the exact opposite of the herd. When the sheep are running one way, you run the other way. And all of his most successful clients did the exact opposite of everyone else because, as 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 we all know, 
uh, in a lot of in a lot of cases, the market's driven by emotions, fear and greed, uh, which are both equally dangerous uh, if you're running with the herd, but provide tremendous opportunity if you're going against it. And so, um, so as I've as I the, the as I've been learning over time from different different mentors and different heroes of mine, this contrarian concept continued to come up. Uh, when, when I graduated from Auburn, um, I started uh, working full time with a mentor of mine named Lee Woodall. He's one of the best real estate investors um, anywhere of all time. And, and he's he is the ultimate contrarian um, and on the real estate side. And so um, when I started with him, it was right before the, the downturn of 07. So in 06, while everyone was flipping condos and buying houses and, um, you know, just just making money hand over fist in real estate, he was moving to cash. Uh, he predicted the entire downturn. And so I was very lucky to, uh, to get hooked up with him. Uh, right when I graduated, uh, we were in a position uh, because of his foresight um, to, to go to cash before the, the market turned and then to redeploy that cash at, at, at all time lows. Uh, when everybody was running as far away from real estate as possible, we were buying. And so one of the things that I, that I learned, um, many things I learned from him, but one of the kind of fundamental principles is there's a relationship between, between price and value. And so the, the value of an asset uh, is determined by the, the future cash flow. Um, and, and there's kind of a fundamental uh, return that, that is safe and sustainable based on future cash flow. The price is solely based on the total amount of capital divided by the number of available a- of units of that asset. And so with real estate, for example, if there's 100 houses and there's a billion dollars of, of total capital, equity, and then a tremendous amount of debt that's chasing that finite number of houses, well, you just take that amount of money divided by the number of units and the price is going to be sky high. But the price is different than the fundamental value. And so what Lee taught me was that if you understand fundamentally what the value of an asset is, you sell when there's a lot of money chasing that asset and the price is way above the value and you buy when the price falls below the intrinsic value. And so the only way to accomplish that is by being a contrarian. So when everyone's flooding into something, naturally the amount of money moving into that category divided by the number of assets is going to go way up. Therefore, the price will follow. That's the time to sell. When something moves out of favor or when there's a downturn and everyone's running away from a certain uh, sector of the market, well, naturally, less dollars divided by the same number of units, the price is going to go way down. And so if something's value is 100 and it goes out of favor and you can buy it for 50, well, not only are you getting a, you know, a good price relative to value, but you've got a sustainable margin of safety to where even in a downturn, you can't get hurt. And so... Um, so Lee taught me a ton about just investing in general, but that contrarian principle applies to not just investing in the stock market or in real estate. It also applies to operating companies. And so where there's a lot of competition, it's the same principle. Lots of money in the same category means higher pricing, lower margin, more competition. And so if you can find something where there's not a lot of competition and there's not a lot of private equity uh, or sophisticated capital in, in, a, in a particular space or category, well, then the pricing is going to be lower. And so that's what Pine Straw was to me. It was a, uh, it was a sizable portion of the green industry 
where there was a lot of um, a lot of annual revenue, and there was a already an established need, but it hadn't innovated yet, and there was no uh, there was no professional capital in the space yet. So we were able to slip in, um, you know, at a lower cost than a traditional industry would be, and since it had not innovated in fifty years, we were able to come in and change the entire game and disrupt the way that it was packaged and harvested and distributed out to the market. And so, um, so basically by following a contrarian approach, we were able to slip into a market at a, you know, at a, at a low cost and then create a tremendous amount of, of value of our business by changing the way that it's done. Because if, if you can change the way that, that something is done, well, you're eliminating competition. And so that's the beauty of innovation is you take this giant category, this need that, that a market creates, and if you can be strikingly different and do it in a better way, well, then the traditional competition becomes irrelevant. And therefore, the value of your business and your offering is going to go way up. And so, so those contrarian principles um, that, that I've been just learning and developing over time, uh, that was really the, the foundation of Swift Straw. And why did we pick the pine straw industry? And, and why did we choose to disrupt it through innovation? I got to say the contrarian principles, if you will, it's beautiful. And it's beautiful in its own way to do opposite of what the herd does. Everybody's running towards something and the whole mentality to shift opportunity to obstacle, right? Seeing the obstacles in the opportunity or op- opportunity in the obstacles, there's this immense abundancy once you start to see obstacles as opportunities all around us. So we, we need to begin to see that. And I, I'm, I'm assuming that's that, again, you applied the same principle through the pine straw company, revamping it, figuring out something that hasn't been done in 50 years. And that's just immense ability to flipping that contrarian principle on its own and, and got diving into something that hadn't been touched in a long time. And even trying to eliminate competitors and you're the person that's innovating the companies around you and then they are coming for you to create that innovation for them. And all on this is that you had to do it with this incredible principle on a block that, if you will, that is immense and difficult for others to potentially put into their own lives. And it starts with rewriting your life and getting your mindset squared into that way. Um, don't go into what you really think. And the masses, if you will, society is, might have you question what's really true. And every day you need to go out and do something that everybody else is not saying is an opportunity and deep down dive in and hold on to that. So how were you so hungry to do this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, my, um, my personal mission has been, been evolving over time. Um, but right now it is to empower people to become the best version of themselves. And, one of the things that I learned from some of my mentors and heroes, um, uh, like I mentioned to you, I started in real estate and learned a tremendous amount and just had a great partnership with Lee. And he's an amazing mentor of mine. Um, but one thing that I learned from some of my other mentors was the the power of, of an operating company. Um, you know, whether it was Robert Woodruff or Cam Lanier or I mean, I, I could go on and on and on. But what these guys created with with operating companies is uh, sustained um, sustained growth. And what they did basically was it, it enriched the lives of everyone that it touched. 
So these, these, these companies that grow and evolve and innovate over time, they enrich the lives of their customers by bringing a better offering to the market. They enrich the lives of the employees by creating awesome cultures um, and by giving, by giving them the ability um, you know, to, to hopefully live the life that they want to live, whether it be through, uh, of course, providing a paycheck. But um, but, you know, back to culture, um, by giving people the freedom to spend time with their families and to do what's important to them and also have a fun work environment. Um, and then, you know, also these these companies provided a, um, a a tremendous wealth creation opportunity, you know, for employees and all of its shareholders. And so, um, you know, I, I, I love, you know, I still do real estate investing today and, and still have a great relationship and partnership. Um, you know, with, with Lee and some of my previous mentors. Um, but, but I kind of had an itch to, uh, to build an operating company um, because of all the benefits I just described. And, uh, and so that was really what, uh, what drew me to, uh, to Swift Straw. And, uh, you know, we also started a company called Single Ops, um, which, is, which has turned into an amazing company in its own right. Um, but but that, that was what that desire to enrich the lives of, of everyone through building a, a, a you know, uh, a substantial, innovative company with a great culture. Um, that was, it. I mean, to be honest with you, it was, it was, a, it was, it was like a force that was drawing me to it that I just flat out, I, I couldn't deny it, turn it down. It was, I mean, it, it, it consumed my, you know, it totally consumed my brain. And it was one of those things I just had to do. Did this innate mission or purpose in life, did that just kind of come up early? Was that something that you're innate and had naturally? Um, you know, to be honest with you, I don't even know. It's, it's just sort of evolved over time. Um, you know, I've, I've always had a passion for, um, and, you know, and I say leadership, but just I've always had a passion for working together, um, no, no matter what it is, whether we're, we're fishing on the lake or we're on the sports field um, or, you know, we're in a business. But I've always had a passion for working with other people and then, uh, you know, working towards the goal line and, 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 and trying to win in a competitive environment. So. Um, you know, so it, it has sort of evolved, you know, a lot over the last several years. Um, but the I guess ultimately this concept of enriching the lives of others and empowering them is what's, um, you know, at least today is really um, it's it, it's what excites me the most. And it's you know, that that's what I consider my purpose to be. I have to say I align with that. And there's similar ones, right, that, again, have getting these people to realize and become the best versions of themselves and create this environment that cultivates an organization that allows for that. Let's start to build something around us that's helping others and allowing others to see that. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs and leaders have that similar mindset to yourself is building something that's helping in this communalistic, holistic approach that's allowing us to create a community around everyone that enriches the lives of everyone. And getting exactly. into that, going back a little bit to what we talked about in the land and the green aspects of the pine straw, how did you find nature as something that was a business opportunity? Where did that come from in your life? I, I'm curious to know if it was something that was brought up or you naturally had. Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, like, like I mentioned to you, I've, I've always been connected with the outdoors. Um, and in my uh, real estate experience, we always uh, we did a lot of timberland. Um, buying and selling timberland and, and that in combination with, um, you know, with, with land being a big part of my life. Uh, it was really just a coincidence that I was exposed to the pine straw industry. Um, but when, uh, when I was exposed to it, having a history in land and timber, 
And, and then coming to the realization that these trees, they drop a renewable resource. You know, it's, it's the same, you know, it's a leaf fall. So every year these, these trees drop needles. And the fact that you can monetize those needles, I've been obsessed from the beginning. I mean, that, that concept was like, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. Like this is, this is too good to be true. And I got, I got to go after it. Goodness. I love it. That's exactly right. It's like a never ending revenue stream. And that's so powerful that you're able to then find this and, and keep going naturally and you're making money off of it. And it sounds something like it's too good to be true. Endless opportunity. Why nobody else is touching. Why is nobody else creating an industry here? What were you thinking when you found this? And this is something you're seeing come to fruition. Well, you know, like, like I said, it was, it was, uh, it was too good not to pursue. Um, but, you know, make, make no mistake. I mean, it, you know, there was, um, it's been nothing but obstacles the, the whole way. And so the, you know, the idea of disrupting an industry, it sounds great once it's been done, but you got a lot, you got an established market with a lot of players that, uh, that like, like the way things are because it's, the, it's their way. And, uh, and so make no mistake, it's, uh, you know, now that we've got a little bit more of a tailwind behind us, um, the, the, the concept of disrupting an industry sounds better, but, uh, you know, it's, it was certainly, uh, it was certainly a challenge. Uh, and it's, it, it still is challenging, but, um, you know, before we were elbowing our way into a space where, you know, everybody had their little niche and, you know, everyone had their customers and nobody, you know, nobody messed with each other and they were all set. And we came in and flipped the dinner table over and, and, uh, so, uh, but, but again, that, the first few years were, uh, the, the disruption phase, you know, we, we, um, you know, we changed the products. Um, the, the, the string tied bale was the, uh, you know, was the only way that pine straw was sold throughout the country. And, uh, in order to disrupt that, we had to convince people to buy a net wrapped roll and then a compressed plastic bag with pine straw in it and, you know, changing consumer behavior, you know, we, with our bags, we had to go door to door to uh, to retailers across the southeast and give the product away. I mean, it was not easy. Everyone we talked to said it wouldn't work, and every distributor said that that they weren't interested. And so it was like it was hand to hand guerrilla warfare, door to door, giving out product, hoping they'd pay us if they sold it. And uh, you know, t- two years later, we started to get traction, and then. Uh, you know, then some of the big retailers wanted it and then the rest is history. But uh, but it was certainly it, we've had our fair share of challenges. That's right. And that's something I keep seeing over and over and over again on entrepreneurs I've talked to is that they have this overwhelming desire for this bigger purpose and it's feeding them to move forward. And they keep showing up. But you're right. You said it. There's times in which you don't feel like showing up and maybe there's times in which you don't think you're going in the right direction. So how did you keep showing up during these times? But no, so just in understanding, you know, what, what it means to have a growth mindset, you know, the, the ability to improve your life and improve your situation through desire and through thoughtful planning and through hard ass work, it, it, the, the obstacle is a guarantee. And, you know, the, the lessons learned along the way, the only way to get become a $10 million CEO is you got to learn all the lessons at, of what it takes to be a 1 million and then a 4 million and then a 6 million, and then an 8 million, and then a 10. And if you want to become a $20 million CEO, you got to learn the lessons all the way from 10 to 20. And so, you know, once I kind of connected the dots that adversity it is the way, I mean, the, the obstacles breaking through those, 
that's that is the pathway. And so um, I, I guess I just don't view adversity as a as a problem. Um, you know, comfort is an illusion. It's it's a lie. It's fool's gold. Um, you know, the good stuff is is found on the other side of adversity. And so um, I guess the, the reason why it's so easy for me to show up every day is. Um, you know, my, my vision is clear for, for what, what kind of company that, uh, that we're trying to create. Um, what, what we're going to do has been clear from the beginning and, you know, obstacles just, they, you know, they don't phase me. Um, and, and I think it's really with a growth mindset, um, when obstacles become an expectation, you know, you're unshakable. There's, there's nothing that could come my way that could shake me right now. It's just one more thing that we're going to work through and we're going to learn and grow. Absolutely. And you spoke on it. It sounds, again, I love this growth mindset, this ability to figure things out, go into the mind. And that's basically where this podcast is stemming from that, again, aligns with a lot of stoicism as well. It's entered into the Marcus Aurelius arena, consume that of any content. If you haven't, the idea that the obstacles are guaranteed, right? That what stands in the way is the way and the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. It's the only way you're going to get to where you want and like you said so beautifully is that you if you want to be a 10 million dollar or 10 billion dollar with a b billion dollar ceo you need to learn everything that a 1 million and a 10 million dollar ceo needs to learn and this notion in our minds i know a lot of people are struggling with is that this overnight success is guaranteed and that's not the case we see six facebook and it just appears that it happened overnight google uber airbnb all these massive unicorn companies but it comes down into a consumer's life and we don't see the back work that's happened for so long so we shouldn't set out to create a unicorn company. We should almost do the opposite and do something very well in a very focused way and understand that obstacles and hurdles and difficulties will happen and they're there for us on point, on purpose and have that mindset that it will be. And then pinnacle or focus our mind on this pivotal point in our in our lives and you spoke on it earlier a little bit earlier when we were talking about moving into the mindset and figuring things out and opening up other companies so what is the deeper if you will notion of the growth mindset aspects so you say again all empowering enriching what are they how do we do it what are the goals what's the end goal and how do we get there Mm mm-hmm no, that's a great question. Um, you know, I don't believe that that success is a destination. I believe it's a journey. And so that's why I don't have a goal for I want to make this much money or I want to own these things. Uh, the most important thing to me is to empower people to become the best version of themselves. And the people that I'm talking about are the ones within my sphere of influence. That's my my immediate family. That's the people that I work with. Um, that's the the friends that I associate with. Um, I want to live my life in a way that empowers them to become the best version of themselves. And, and so everything that I do is with that in mind, the, the activities that I engage in, the companies that, uh, that I'm working with, um, it's, it's all with that in mind. And so, um, you know, that allows me to sort of live a journey where, you know, the, being, being a billionaire and, and not spending time with my family is not exciting to me. I mean, it's just not, that's not, that doesn't sound appealing. 
um, you know, living a life where, where I don't get to spend out time outdoors and enjoy the activities that I want, that, that I want to participate in, that doesn't sound appealing to me. And so, um, you know, so I've kind of reframed, um, you know, what my version of success, and it includes, there's a physical component, there's a mental component, there's a huge spiritual component. Um, and then, you know, on the professional side, um, enriching lives and empowering others is the primary motivator. And then, the money is just a, that's a tool to make the other things possible, but nothing more. Money is nothing but a tool, right? Changing that in our minds and seeing that as, you know, money just flows into us and out of us. And it takes away that scarcity mindset of always trying to get more and more money. And with that mindset, you're going to just constantly run out of money. But if again, if you put it at the tail end of the equation of, I want to help people, I want to do a service, I want to create things. And then money comes after this changes everything and we begin to learn and our listeners are gaining this in this perspective and i always like to know what where do you plan to go where does matt Lowe plan to go in the next five years um you know that that's a great question it's it's hard for me to answer that um just you know with with swift straw with, with everything that i've done you know one door just opens another um, you know, and, and one innovation opens our eyes to, you know, a new direction. And so um, it's really hard for me to say where where will we be in five years um, other than we are going to push the limits every single day of how much we can grow um, and how much we can improve things and how much we can innovate and how much value we can create uh, and how much positive impact. And that ain't changing. So it's um, it. it it, it's hard for me to say other than we're, we're going to be pushing the limits um, as much as we possibly can. And, you know, I guess the, the good Lord is going to have to determine where that takes us. Um, but that's uh, that, <laughs> that's about as clear as I can answer. That's great. And that's good. And it's a kind of exciting, you know, when to, you're figuring it out, you have an intention of what direction you want to head in. And, and you know, the excesses of that and saying all these doors are going to maybe open and then close and, and then move in different directions. But the bigger thing is, is that the leader and the CEO as you is pushing the, the, the envelope and focusing in a unified direction everyone else and adapting and molding to the different degrees what was and kind of shifting gears in a way i know the power of rituals and having morning routines and doing the same thing over and over and over again so i want to know what is your morning look like and what rituals do you always instill to be sure that you're always focused in the right direction each and every day? Yeah, uh, that, that is a great question. That's, um, I mean, to me, that's foundational. That's, um, I've, um, I did a, a program with Tommy Newberry, um, and they call it an early morning success routine, EMSR. Um, and so that's, uh, I, I do it every single day religiously. Um, and that's um, the first thing I do every single day, um, where, you know, when I wake up, I'll, I work out, do a podcast, get in the, the physical portion of my day, uh, take my kids to school, come back, um, eat a healthy breakfast. Usually it's a healthy smoothie um, and do about a 30 to 45 minute devotion. Um, and that's where spend time in the word, spend time with God. I'll send a devotion out uh, to the entire team every single morning. Uh, and then I start my day. And so I'm able to get in mental growth, physical, spiritual 
um, before I even get to the office. And so um, that to me is, is it's an absolute must because it's like anything else with, with thoughtful planning and intentionality, you can get the things that are important done and you can fit them in. But if you're just being busy and just walking through the day aimlessly, all the important stuff uh, you seem to never have time for. And so that, that EMSR is, is, uh, is, it's a must for me. And uh, it's, it's been hugely impactful. Yeah. Doing the same stuff day in, day out, do X, Y, Z every single day. I think there's a lot of power there. And I, I like to say that the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, you've probably heard it before. It talks a lot about habit stacking and getting productive in that regard. And But you mentioned it. It's again, having this ritual based lifestyle of X, Y, Z. And this is what we do every morning. One of the biggest things is, is the productivity and focusing the mind and getting into the intentional living space and where you are. And in fact, moving in a singleized direction. But what he challenges is the, the portion of the book, as well as his blog, are they're tied to this delay of checking email and taking time because a lot of us might the alarm goes off grab our phone check our email and now we're on the agenda of another and the point is gone for the morning ritual and you're living out of an agenda of another and the morning of what we can do in our in our morning ritual and figuring out the direction in which we want to move and getting that mindset focused all goes into having a clear intention and almost being in a religious aspect of intentionality and set setting yourself up for the day as this is what I will do and I will always do it. And social media is a big grabber and a big consumer of that. And I think it's important for us to use social media as a tool, but if we are using it as that, but don't get overconsumed. And I know you consumed a lot of books through that and you've picked and focused on books. So this year is actually a, one of the books that I'm giving is a man's search for meaning. I read it. I give it, gift it all the time. I absolutely love that book. Yeah. I, I read it a few months ago. It's awesome. Yeah, it's an absolutely great one. And then Victor Frankl in that book, it's he does it again with the mindset of just getting into that and moving in the right direction. So I'm curious, what is your number one gifted book to other people? Yeah. So I always start with mindset. Um, like I mentioned, because again, the if you're not in a growth mindset, you can read all the books in the world and you're stuck. So I always start the book regimen with mindset just to get people uh, you know, in the right frame of mind before they move into uh, in, into any others. But my, the second one is King's Cross. It's a really good introduction into faith and similar to mindset. Um, without, I believe, without a strong spiritual foundation, the you know all the rest of it uh, is not going to work. And so, um, so I go from mindset to King's Cross, and then uh, the third is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, and then, then good to great, which it's a, um, you know, I, I read good to great when I, when I was younger. And of course it's all these cool principles, but you have no idea how to actually apply them or what they mean in the real world. And, and then I, you know, I, I, I read it again every couple of years and a lot of the uh, concepts make a lot more sense now, but, um, th- those are my first few. And then of course, from there, it kind of gets more specific based on, you know, what, what somebody's, you know, trying to specifically learn about. 
Those are absolutely great books, and I haven't even read The Good to Great. I'll have to add that to my my list of books. Um, Definitely all books around growth, spirituality, getting in to know yourself, figuring out what really works, those basic fundamental principles are really helpful and those habits of highly effective people that's a great book those are really powerful books and i know we're coming to the tail end of the show and i like to throw a few questions out to my listener or for my guests um, so my listeners can get some wisdom some words of wisdom so with that what is one piece of advice that you give to your younger self a teenager or even a listener right now what would you potentially tell them I guess the the one piece of advice that I would give that is something that um, that is part of my definition of success now that wasn't as much um, when I was younger is just the the requirement to have a balanced version of success. Um, You know, in in my earlier years, even, you know, reading a book a week and um, and I I was if, if you lined up the different pillars of my life, the professional and the curious side was getting about 80%, um, you know, of, uh, of the attention. And as I've gotten older and I've got three kids now, um, my, my version of, of what it means to, to live a successful life has certainly changed in a way that, you know, before I would think about, you know, how big of a farm do I want to own one day? Um, and today I think about it in terms of what kind of experience do I want to create for my kids and what type of property, uh, will it take to create that experience? And so I think about things um, just in a more balanced manner um, rather than just growth for growth sake or wealth creation for wealth creation sake. And so um, that would probably be the one thing that uh, if I could go back 15 years and just sort of instill the uh, the wisdom around the, the the need for a little bit more balance. Yeah, I believe the balance part of life is so important. You know, we come out so hungry at times as being a child and teenager and then early adult that we just consume and consume and consume. And then we forget about ourselves along the way and bringing back that balance is really, really helpful. And I think that's sound advice, um, for any listener and closing questions. We're coming to the end. What most excites you about the future in Matt Lowe's life? Man, um, a lot. I mean, it's um, there's so much opportunity and there's so much. Um, the, the one thing that, that I, I guess I'm most excited about right now is, um, you know, Swift Straw. We've we've got a team now of uh, I think we're over 200 employees now. Um, and we have the most unbelievable team. I mean, you talk about there's no BS, there's no office politics, there's no bureaucracy. It's all a bunch of people that that share this collective growth mindset that we're all working together to disrupt the industry, to innovate. Um, and just it's it, it amazes me every single day uh, when I sit back and just look at, at, at this incredible group of people and what they're able to accomplish. And um, it, it's just it's the most um, it's the most cohesive um, that we've ever been. And just the the way that the the leadership groups are working together and the way that we're just crushing some of the goals that we've set set out for this year already. Um, and, and most of this stuff is, you know, things that I'm not even involved in, which is probably for the better. Um, but that's it's one of those things where, you know, the if you look at um, good to great, if you do read that, the, the first the, the first uh, 
quality of a great company is to get the right people. Well, it's after level five leader, it's get the right people on the bus. Because when you've got the right people on the bus that share a growth mindset, anything's possible. I mean, we've, we've, we've innovated more in, um, we're, we're changing the way that, uh, that pine straw is harvested, um, taking it from, from a very laborious process to 100% automated, like totally mechanized, nobody on the ground. Uh, and that's, it, it used to take 100 people to do what we've now got five guys on equipment doing. And we had to create all that from scratch. And we've got guys in the fields that are innovating at a pace that is just remarkable every single week. Um, I mean, they basically developed um, an, an eight-step process that's never – each step has never been done before. Um, and you look at what's going on in our manufacturing plant. I mean, we, we had to create this, um, this process from scratch. We've got a patent on it. Um, we're about to order a third line. The demand's out the window, and it's like – you know, at this point, I'm just sitting here watching these, you know, these incredible people do incredible things. And uh, it's it's really cool. In the early days, you know, basically, I, you know, I was I was lugging a lot of weight. Um, but now I'm just sitting back and watching um, incredible people do these innovative things. And um, that, that I'm, you know, again, for the better, not even involved with anymore. So I'm just now getting a taste for what's possible when you get the right group of people. Um, and, and now, you know, they've Take kind of taken my original vision and, and sort of come up with the team has come up with our own vision, which is new and exciting and better than anything I've ever come up with. And uh, watching that come to life and watching them be empowered. Um, it's it's really cool for me. Uh, I mean, because basically, you know, I wouldn't do it. But if I went on vacation for a month, nothing would change. Uh, they probably make more progress. And so uh, it, it's really cool and exciting for me. And that's when I look out to the future. It's like, you know, you said. Where, where are you planning to go in five years? I, I literally can't even – I wouldn't do us justice if I, if I made a prediction right now but with, with the way things are going. Mindset with the right group, cohesive, working together, community-based. Everyone's got everybody's back. There's no BS. There's no backstabbing. There's no office drama. You've created this utopia. In other words, right, this working environment that allows all cylinders to fire rapidly. And that's, I think, somebody, if any entrepreneur, any leader, anyone listening, if they're wanting to build something, they need to build it in that way and think about that picture in their minds when they're focusing that. We need to have that. And successful leaders, influential people, they help groom us along the way. And I have to say, Matt, our conversation has been excellent and I've enjoyed it immensely. And there's so many gold nuggets in this show. And for coming on, I want to say thank you. And it's been an honor. And thank you again. Thanks for coming on the show. You bet. Well, hey, I appreciate it. I, I love the concept and uh, I've, I'm, I'm excited to watch you grow. I've, I've got no doubt that you're going to crush it. And, uh, and, and uh, I'm really excited to watch your journey. Oh, man, I appreciate it, Matt. Have a good one. Thanks. And that's this episode of The Art of Mindset with your host, me, Brian LeSage. Be sure to check out Matt Lowe's website, swiftstraw.com. You'll find his content and you can even check him out on LinkedIn. Be sure to always like and subscribe to the show. If you haven't completed the survey for the show, please do so. You'll impact future episodes. And as always, stay curious, keep expanding.